0: Well, hello, and welcome to another episode of Bite Sized Virtue. This is the sixth episode. Uh, we've now moved past Easter, Christos vos kres, vos kres, as they say in well, at least one of the countries that my ancestors hail from. This week, we're going to be moving into a different topic. We're going to be, um, you know, we spent most of Lent talking with my friend Paul a fairly philosophically-minded gent about a lot of different things, actually. We talked about gaming, we talked about technology and social media and violence and some of the impacts that these things have on the human person. Post-Easter, we're going to be moving into something that's a little bit more in line with what I've been doing with Bite-Sized Virtue, and if you've been following the Ultima Codex, past meditations on the eight virtues. That is to say, we're going to be looking at one of the well, actually, I can't even say one of, because we're kind of mixing two together here. We're going to be looking at the principle of love, uh, of course, part of Ultima lore since Ultima Four. and we're going to be looking at the eight virtues, or rather the, the one of the eight virtues that the principle of love most directly informs, which is, of course, the virtue of compassion. I'll be joined by Clortos Dragon for the next few episodes, and we'll be talking about this Again, trying to um, draw some parallels between the principle of love, the virtue of compassion, and real-world philosophy. This episode, we're going to dive into—there's a fair bit of scripture in the episode that we're going to be talking about, different examples of love as it appears in uh, Christian teachings— And also in Western philosophy, be looking again at Greek philosophy, uh, something we visited before in the last season of Bite Size Virtue. And in particular, we'll be drawing um, an interesting parallel between how Ultima looks at the idea and the ideal of love and what you will find uh, here on this side of the Moongate.
1: All right. Well, let me tell you briefly, like one one thing I, I thought of initially, maybe one of the clearest examples that immediately popped into my mind was um, Parable of the Unforgiving Servant in Matthew 18. Um, mainly from the standpoint that, you know, I, I don't know. I'm sure you've probably heard heard the parable before. the king, uh, the servant. Owes him an insurmountable debt, incredible debt. Yeah, uh, had no no way to pay. The only the only way that he can resolve this is to be sold into slavery. Uh, but the king forgives him. Um, you know, the king isn't getting anything from this. He's not. You know, he, he's having this compassion on this servant. Uh, maybe that would really actually deal more with the virtue of compassion itself. But. Uh, that was one of the initial things I thought. And then you see him of course, go out and over a matter of like 20 or $30, take, take his fellow servant by the throat and say, pay me what you owe. Um, I I think, I think a lot of understanding love has to do with understanding the contrasts between love and hatred. Um, and also, kind of like I said on the on the message, and we talked about the other day, is that love is something that, to me, I don't know, just in scriptures, even love is much more complex than we typically use it as, or the, how we typically view it.
0: It is. Um, I mean. And I can blame any number of theology teachers and priests for this, but, you know, when I use the word love in English, I never don't wince just a little bit internally because in English we do, uh, we do ourselves a real disservice because we use this one term, this one blanket term, love, to describe a absurdly wide gamut of emotions um and why i say i was kind of spoiled by you know theology teachers and priests and the like is because these are all people who are very well read in greek and the greeks have a really beautiful categorization of love they have different terms for different forms of love you know you have um Eros, so erotic love. Well, but not just erotic love, you know, because it's not just caught up with sensuality. It's sort of also tied to passion. And Eros is a very good thing to have uh, between spouses. You know, that's actually a very wonderful love. It's part of the fruitfulness of a marriage to have Eros love in the marriage. On the other hand, you have, uh, you know, the kinds of love... um Between family members, you know, uh, a parent for a child, a sibling for a sibling. You have the kind of love that exists between, um, you know, friends. Sort of more that filial love. And then, of course, there's what is philosophically the highest form of love. Um, You may have heard the term agape. You may be quite familiar with that. I hope so. And that's... Kind of one way to look at it is that it's, you know, it's self-sacrificing love. Um, I mean, it's the love that is, of course, given its ideal in uh, the person of Christ. You know, he would be the sort of the ultimate representation of this kind of love. It's uh, very much the love that is spoken of, you know, when uh, in scripture it says greater love has no man to lay down his life for his friends. Because it's, you know, it's, it's very, very caught up with the good of the other. Even to the point of, you know, sacrificing oneself to bring about a greater good for the other. Or for many others. And um, we don't, in English, do a very good job of capturing those distinctions. And I'll even give you an example. Because, you know, if you look at the... Greek text of the gospel accounts. you got Peter talking to Jesus. Uh, This is post... And actually, this was really well... This was a beautifully depicted scene in uh, that Joseph Fiennes movie, Risen. Uh, So it's, you know, post-resurrection, and it's Christ asking the three questions to Peter. You know, Peter, do you love me? Peter, do you love me? Peter, do you love me? But what's interesting is that in the Greek, there's an added bit of... Meaning that we don't capture in English, because in the Greek, the first two times that Jesus asks Peter, "Do you love me?", the uh, the Greek uses the agape term. Okay, so the first two times mm-hmm. Jesus is, you know, saying, you know, Peter, do you agape me? Uh, and I mean, even though Peter replies, "Yes," Jesus kind of keeps pressing him, and the last time Jesus asks, it's not agape. It's he uses the uh, the filial term instead. So it almost seems in that account that you know, it's like there's this reticence still in Peter. It's like there's still this hesitance to fully embrace his mission and Jesus kind of meets him in that. And of course, out of that, Peter is ultimately able to go on and fulfill uh, his very glorious mission. And, you know, all, you know, <laughs> here we are today. Um, but it's just, you know, we don't capture that um, complexity in English. We really don't. And that's unfortunate. So,
1: Well, I think another thing there is sort of the again uh, maybe contrast is not quite the same term, but uh, in the in the New King James translation in that same passage in John twenty one, the question really is at least in that translation, uh, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me more than these? So there's something there because I was you know a fella offered me the example once of, you know, what if I told my wife, um, you know, honey, you're, you're number one in my book. Well, uh, the example this fella said was, uh, you know, what if she went away from that conversation thinking, well, who's number two and who's number three. (laughs) And, uh, you know, I mean, if, if, if it doesn't work out with me, what, what's, what's going to happen there? And I think, you know, th- that example is used to say, basically, you know, if you think, well, God is number one in your life. Well, who's number two? Because if you don't have, you know, th- that's talking about that uh, aspect. But that's really what Jesus is pulling Peter to, um, because that's where Peter had gone. Uh, he had allowed uh, his faith to be lessened than that. He allowed his love for for the Lord to be lessened. And it interfered with his ability To, uh, to to interfere with his faith, I should say. And, and I think that's where, you know, Jesus is not just saying, do you love me? Do you love me more than these? And, and, you know, these, I think we could say is anything. And that's, that's, of course, the totality of Jesus' message. Um, you love me completely and totally. You give, give yourself completely to me or, you know that there, there's nothing we hold back from from the Lord, and and I think that's uh, again, if we're talking about the, the highest uh, form of love, that's exactly what it is. Because, um, you know, I, I've I've got my Bible open here to First uh, John three. Behold, what manner of love the Father has bestowed on us that we should be called children of God. You see, John is writing to Christians. And he's saying, you know, look at how much God loves us. And you look all throughout the New Testament, what did it cost God for us to be able to be children of God? Uh, cost him a lot, cost him his son on the cross, cost him, uh, cost him all that. And so, um, you know, I, I don't mean to keep on going here, but, but I think, if we establish that that is love in its purest and clearest sense, then everything else kind of trickles down from that. Um, yeah. Everything else is judged by that.
0: Yeah, definitely. And this is actually what's always, you know, to, to bring this back to um, Ultima a little bit, this is always what's fascinated me about how love is utilized as a guiding principle in Ultima and in the eight virtues, specifically um, most notably for that, you know, the virtue that the principle of love totally and directly informs is, you know, as was already mentioned, the virtue of compassion. And that's really interesting because, and I mean, especially, you know, nowadays, that isn't always necessarily when we talk about love, we're probably the, uh, the ideal of compassion or uh, mercy, another way to uh, characterize that isn't necessarily what comes first to mind. Right. Uh, I mean, certainly it's not what the love songs are about, if you will. And so it's really interesting to me that, you know, Whereas um, Garriott could have gone towards a different meaning of love. The one that he settled on and the one that he then chose to, you know, further express in terms of one of the eight virtues was that same sort of highest form of love, compassion, mercy, the idea that, you know, um, well, how is it formulated? Like in Ultima 5, it's categorized as non-judgmental empathy. In Ultima Underworld 2, compassion is, you know, again, the the quality of empathy, of recognizing and sharing the feelings of others. <clears throat> Ultima 9, I think, had a, re- a, much, um, a much more in-depth explanation of it because it, you know, talks about compassion is the child's awe at the natural world. And his love for all who live in it. Compassion for others reflects the love in one's soul. It requires strength to hold compassion for under duress. It is quick to flee in testing your will to aid others. Compassion shall grow in your spirit like a wildfire. And I mean, that's very much, well, I mean, what's the image of compassion on the tarot card in ultimate nine, at least it was, you know, the bard helping the beggar. In Ultima Forever, it was even, I think, more poignant because, you know, it was a bard comforting a small child. And then in the background, we see that her home is like on fire, right? So it's very much, it very much is this quality of mercy. All right, well, I'm going to stop the conversation there for now. And thank you very much for listening. We will be back again next week with another episode of Bite Sized Virtue, continuing to look at love, the principle of love, um, the philosophical underpinnings of love in the real world, and of course, looking at it a little bit more through the lens of Ultima. But for now, and until next time, be virtuous.